Jesus as the Savior of the world. Truth number one is this. Jesus is his given name. So Jesus is his given name. So the question becomes then, well, given by whom? Just think about this. What if, what if the weight fell on you to name the Son of God at his birth? So think about that. Think about that weight falling upon you. Not only would this boy's name precede him, stay with him wherever he went, follow him all the days of his life and long after, but this child of all children, as the angel told Mary, was the anointed one. So how could anyone stand beneath the weight of giving a name to the eternal son of God? Thankfully, God spared Joseph and Mary this burden. For Joseph and Mary did not choose Jesus' name. It was a commanded name given to them by God from heaven. As we just read, she will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus. Same to Mary. You will call his name Jesus. Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Joshua. It means Jehovah saves or Yahweh is salvation. And now in the Bible, God named several people himself. God named Abraham, Abram to Abraham, God named Israel, God named Sarah, but none more important or with more a significant name than him naming his own son, Jesus, to be the savior of the world. Jesus is the name above every other name. And think about this. Why would Mary and Joseph not be allowed to name their son? And I believe the answer is this. They weren't allowed to name their son because they weren't in control of him. They weren't in control of him. In fact, the first time Mary fed Jesus, she had already depended upon him for the very breath she took, for the very food that she ate, and for the salvation that she declared she needed. And I'm going to say something, and please don't hear what I'm not saying. In this culture in which Jesus came, there was nothing special about the name Jesus. And what I mean by that is this. There were probably thousands upon thousands of other Jesuses running around. It was a common name given in that time. Now, it was a name given with a, a promise. So anytime they named their son Jesus, they were saying, we believe that God is a God of salvation, that God saves. But in this picture, I mean, it was a common name. Yet, it was a common name that has become the sweetest name. There's, again... Something sweet about this name. No dearer name than the name of Jesus. And the father made sure to tell Mary and Joseph exactly why his son would be named Jesus. Why their son would be named this. Because he would save his people from their sins. Think of some other names that God could have given to have Jesus named. The father could have had him named Jehoshaphat. Now that doesn't sound as great for Christmas. But the name means God will judge. God could have named him Rapha, healer. God could have named him Sedkanu, righteous or righteousness. He could have named him Hamelech, king. All of these and more would have been true of the son. But the father named him Jesus because he is the savior. He's the savior. Jesus is his given name was and is and then number two jesus is his eternal purpose so jesus is his purpose from eternity past call his name jesus he will save his people from their sins 
The name Jesus was not just his message, it was his mission. It's why he came. The name Jesus communicates what Jesus came to do. He did not come to earth to provide short-term, temporary solutions for us. He came to save us from our sins. One theologian said this, He is both a perfect and absolute Savior. The only Savior of man because the work of salvation is holy and only brought about by Him. And no part is reserved to any creature in heaven or in earth. In case you don't know what that means, that, if, that means this. If any part of salvation depended upon us, we would blow it. We'd blow it. It has to be of God. But just think about this. Centuries before this miraculous event where Jesus came, centuries before, Babylonians had breached Jerusalem. Their walls destroyed the temple, destroyed the walls, carted off the people of Jerusalem into exile. This is what we studied earlier in the year when we went through Ezra and Nehemiah. Seventy years after the destruction of Jerusalem, waves of Jews began to come back to Jerusalem. But the glory that they had experienced under David and Solomon never returned. In one sense, their exile had ended. In another sense, it kept going. It endured. God's people still longed for rescue. In fact, the Medes and the Persians would rule over them, then the Greeks. And this time, when Jesus comes, it's the Romans. So with the promise of the Messiah coming, in their minds, they had to be thinking, we are about to be delivered from Rome. We're about to be delivered and be given political freedom. And then the bombshell of all bombshells. He will save his people from their sins, not from their enemies, not from bad things, not from bad people. He will save them from their sins, meaning he will save them from themselves. You know, psychology teaches us that our physical needs are way more important than our spiritual needs. In fact, physical needs get the attention because they are pressing. So in our minds, it's like, well, school is the most important thing. Titles are the most important thing. How my boss sees me or treats me or maybe marriages or families or finances or jobs or health, whether it be physical or mental health. And these are all pressing needs, and therefore they get our attention. But our sin, our, you know, we often think, and I'm, I'm going to thank for you here. We often think my sin isn't the problem. Their sin is. It's not my sin. I mean, yes, yeah, sin's the problem, but everybody else's. I don't have the problem. You guys are like sick and twisted, but I've got my stuff together. That's kind of how we think in our minds. So, yes, yeah, sin's the problem, just not mine. But the name of Jesus, hear this. The name of Jesus is a sober warning to any who are careless about their own sins. Because you cannot embrace a Savior unless you see your need to be saved. You can't embrace a Savior unless you understand your need, that you are a sinner in need of salvation. And before we acknowledge the Savior, we must believe, we must fulfill, we must fill this picture that our offenses are against Him. To receive Jesus, you have to understand that apart from Him, you will perish forever. For we aren't capable of securing salvation for ourselves, even on our best day. We fall well short 
of what would be required for our salvation. The problem is you and I carry another name that we exceed in living up to, and that name is sinner. And we all exceed, we all far exceed living up to that name. We far exceed living up and meeting the standards of that name. The bad news is that we are so sinful, we are so lost, we are so broken that we could not find God and we could not save ourselves. That's the bad news. The good news is we are so loved that God came down in the form of Jesus in order to seek us and save us. Are you among, are you among those who have been saved by him? Are you among those who have called out upon the name of Jesus, confessing him as Savior and Lord? Are you among those who have seen your need for salvation from your sin? And understand that Jesus didn't just come to be a Savior from hell. What I mean by that is this. You're not just saved and got to get out of hell free card and you can live however you want to. No, he came to get this. Yes, he saves us from the penalty of sin. He saves us from hell. Praise God. He also saves us from the power of sin. That's why Romans 6 says you are dead to sin and you are alive to Christ. Walk as if you're alive to him. And one day, praise God, we will be saved from the presence of sin. No more sin in our presence forever. Do you know him? In Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And an anonymous author penned this response. To the architect, he's the chief cornerstone. To the baker, he is the bread of life. To the banker, he is hidden treasure. To the builder, he is a sure foundation. To the carpenter, he is the door. To the doctor, he is the great physician. To the florist, he is the rose of Sharon. To the geologist, he is the rock of ages. To the jeweler, he is the pearl of great price. To the philosopher, he is the wisdom of God. To the pastor, he is the word of God. To the priest, he foreshadowed the tabernacle, to the politician, he is the desire of all nations, to the worker, he is the giver of rest, and to the sinner, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Amen. This is who he is. Jesus tells of his eternal purpose. He has come to save us, which leads us to the question. And that question is this. What if there was no saving name at all. What if there was no saving name at all? In Acts 4, the Apostle Peter says this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by which we must be saved. No one. God saw fit to wrap salvation in the syllables of the name Jesus. There is no other name given by which we must be saved. And please hear this. Jesus is not one of many ways to approach God. Jesus is not the best of several ways to approach God. Jesus is the only way to approach God. In the words of Peter, there is no other name. But maybe, just maybe this morning, we need a little help filling the wonder that there is any name at all. Into this world of sin and curse, where three-fourths of our house hangs over a cliff that ends in judgment, God has given us a name. And I'm going to say something now that's not going to be popular. It's not popular in our world. 
We ought to live in a world where there is no saving name. We ought to live in a world where there is no hope of salvation. We ought to be kicked out of Eden with no hope of ever returning. We ought to work under the ruthless hand of Pharaoh in Egypt with no Moses to ever rescue us. We ought to tremble before Goliath with no David with his sling and stones. And we ought to hang our harps in Babylon as, as exiles with no hope of a future song. And even worse, all of us ought to face our death with only the dread of hell awaiting us. Now, that didn't get anything whatsoever. I don't know if we understand who we are. I don't, under, I don't know if we understand who God is. Brothers and sisters, I, I hear people say all the time, no, 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 I deserve this. Let me say it again. You deserve hell. It's what you deserve. It's what I deserve. I deserve to die, commit my first sin, go straight to hell. Do not pass go. Go straight to hell. That's what I deserve. Everything I get, everything you get that's not hell is God's mercy and grace. Everything that we get that isn't hell is mercy and grace. Listen, often we assume that our default setting is heaven. Our default setting is, well, I'm headed to heaven. Instead, because of what Jesus has done, if we don't confess him, our default setting when we come to this world as sinners is, is hell. You see, we aren't born holy, entered into a perfect relationship with God. We're born sinful separated from God but praise be to God God took the first step in coming to us for salvation according to the Bible is not us working our way to God salvation is God in his grace coming down to us by the way in case you were wondering no other religion has a God who humbles himself like that you always have a God requiring something from you do this and maybe just maybe do this and all of your, if your good outweighs your bad, then maybe, just maybe. But in Christianity, God has come to us to take away our sins. Let me frame it this way. When we truly see ourselves in our sin and deserving of his wrath, and we cry out to him for forgiveness and salvation, he becomes to us a savior. And he will forever be a savior to us. And... When we've been overcome by sin once again, he becomes to us a restorer and a forgiver. It's who he is. Let me end this morning with words showing the importance of Christ coming to us and for us and saving grace that was displayed in his coming. And think about it. Just, just follow with me here in your mind from Genesis 3 where sin first entered the world. Rebellion raised its ugly head, and grace came down. Darkness covered creation's light, and grace came down. Thorns and diseases infected, and grace came down. People lied, cheated, and stole, and yet grace came down. Desires led people far away from God, and yet grace came down. Image bearers murdered one another, and yet grace still came down. Idols abounded, deceived, and took hearts of people, and yet grace came down. The whole earth 
groaned, and yet grace came down. Tears replaced smiles, and grace came down. Hope turned into fear and hopelessness, and grace came down. Danger lurked in every human heart, and grace came down. Decency was shattered. Grace came down. Creatures separated from their creator, and grace came down. Let me put it this way. People cried, God wept, and grace came down in the person of Jesus Christ. Saving grace has come down to us. Brothers and sisters, there should be something welling in our hearts this morning that salvation has come to us. Salvation has come to us. Jesus came. He was born to die. He lived to die. He laid down his life. He picked it up again. And I want to, I want to close this time this morning by rejoicing in and celebrating the one who came to die for us, celebrating the ordinance of communion. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and get your cups out and ready. And we are going to celebrate together the one whose body was broken, whose blood was shed. And what we're about to celebrate, we do so in remembrance of him, the one who saved us from our sin. And let me just say this this morning. Many times throughout the church history, communion is said to be a table, a table that Jesus prepared for us and a table that he invites us to. In fact, I want you to just real quick, just listen to maybe the invitation that Jesus is giving us today. And maybe, just maybe, it's an invitation to you. Come, all who are fearful. And Jesus says, be wrapped in my love. Come, all who are doubting, and be wrapped in my reality and my acceptance. Come, all who are full of regrets, and be assured that there is forgiveness for you. Come, all who are wounded in spirit, and be made whole. Even those who might be at ease today, come and give praise to him for his grace. Come old and young, come rich and poor, come weak and strong. There, there is room at his table for you. But the Bible says very clearly, brothers and sisters, that we are not to enter into this in an unworthy manner. In fact, read what the Apostle Paul says. He said people in the Corinthian church, they were doing it in an unworthy manner and they died, dropped dead. Don't want that to happen today. That would ruin Christmas. So what I want to do instead is I want us to take a moment. And I just want to ask you to take this moment and just ask God to search your heart. Ask him to forgive you of any sin that you have committed against him. And I'm going to pray together, and we're going to enter this time of communion. Father God, in the words of David, have mercy on us. According to our transgressions, according to our iniquities and our sins, and, Lord, according to your abundant mercies, forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And thank you that there is cleansing for us, Jesus, through your broken body and shed blood. That there is 
salvation for us and what you have done. There's forgiveness today for us. Lord, I pray that if anyone is here today that doesn't know you, that today would be a day of salvation. But also, Lord, pray that today would be a day of us as your children understanding the beauty, Jesus, of why you came to save us from our sin. Lord, sometimes we get lulled into sleep and we forget that we needed to be saved and that we could not save ourselves. So thank you, Jesus, for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. And Lord, we come to this celebration or ordinance of communion and we do not partake in this as if we're earning anything. Lord, you earned it all for us. So what we are doing is celebrating what you've done. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you to peel off that top layer and get out the bread. I'm going to read a verse. I'm going to ask you to say something after me after I read the verse, and then we are going to take the bread together. This bread that represents the broken body of our Savior. In John 6, 58, Jesus says, This is the bread that came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He that eats this bread will live forever. Repeat after me, his body. Now, if you can take the cup that represents his shed blood for our sins. I'm going to read two verses. I'm going to ask you to repeat something after me, and then we'll take the, the cup, the juice together. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sins. 1 John 1.7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of his Son cleanses us from all our sin. Repeat after me, his blood. You can say it with me. His body, his blood for us. That is the message of the gospel. And the Bible tells us, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the Savior of the world, and he is also the light of the world. He is the only true light this world knows, and praise be to God, his light never goes out. And with that said, the light of the world tells us that we are also to let our lights shine before men, that they may see our good works, and it brings glory to our Father in heaven. So I'm going to ask you, if you're able to stand with me now, we're going to bring the lights down, and we are going to light our candles as I pray, and we're going to sing a song together. It's going to almost serve as our closing, Silent Night. And let us, let us pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the salvation that he brings. Jesus, thank you that you are the only Savior of sinners in the world. And thank you, Jesus, that we have, we have a salvation. We have a name. That there is a Savior. But Lord, if we got what we deserve, there would be no Savior. There would be no saving name. But God, we praise you and thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him to this earth for us. 
Lord, we rejoice today in the Savior that we have. We rejoice today in the grace that has been given. We rejoice today in His mercy. We rejoice today in the the joy that is ours because of Jesus. We rejoice in the peace that is ours that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We rejoice today at all that we have, all that is readily available to us, Jesus, because of you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for why you came. In Jesus' name.